We've been speaking about the grand key and most dramatic event of future times, and that is the sure and certain return of the Lord Jesus Christ the second time uh, to earth. And we have spoken about some of the characteristics of his return, and I hope you've gotten a little bit excited about it, because these are rough days, challenging days, and the present realities are a little burdensome for us, and so we think about future realities, and it kind of lifts us from the throes of the present day. And that's a good thing. Did you know Christians have looked for the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ with great enthusiasm and uh, anticipation for thousands of years? And I'd like you to see it a little bit. Uh, Peter tells us about it. In Second Peter, for instance, uh, chapter 3, verse 13, we read his words, but according to his promise, according to God's promise, we, Christians, we are looking for new heavens and new earth. God promised future realities amongst which are his second coming and a reformation, refashioning of reality as we know it, a rather corrupt, sin-sick, and defiled reality. Oh, but there'll be new heavens and new earth. This in accordance with God's promise. And we're looking forward to it, said Peter, uh, with regard to believers in his day and this day, in which righteousness dwells. Ah, we're burdened because righteousness isn't at home in our reality. Righteousness is alien to our society. You know it, and I know it. We're saddened by it. We grieve over it. Well, it really breaks the heart of God. We once were amongst the unrighteous. Only by his grace and mercy have we found right standing in his eyes because of the merits of Christ. But one day, and we ought to look forward to it, there'll be a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness is finally at home. It won't be a foreign entity begging for attention. It will be the characteristic of that day. Right standing, holy living in the eyes of Almighty God. Something to look forward to. Finally, there will be a place where righteousness will be right at home. Are you looking forward to that day? If so, good, you ought to. That's why God made these promises of future realities for us in advance. It lifts us from the throes of the present. You see, our place is not like that place. And we long soon to be in that place because this place is distasteful in many ways. That shouldn't be difficult for us to understand. I mean, our citizenship is in heaven and so we're aliens and strainers, uh, strangers on a sojourn through this reality until the time of the Lord's return. But the question is, but what do we do while we're waiting for these marvelous future realities, namely the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? What do we do? Well, take a look at the next verse, 2 Peter 3, verse 14. Uh, therefore, oh, that's important. 
One word is very. Do you know the word therefore is linking our future joyous expectation with our present behavior? Some people say you can be so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. Well, the therefore resolves it. Peter is essentially saying it's good to look forward to the yet unfulfilled promises of God. But if you are, therefore, it has to impact on our present day behavior. And so he says, therefore, beloved. So he's not yelling at anybody. He's talking about Christians. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. So, folks... What we, you and I, and all Christians are looking for there in the future should very much affect what we are living for here. Now, I want to repeat that because I think it's really good. What we are looking for there, keep looking, should affect what we are living for here. If it doesn't, it's just been an academic experience in the detailed uh, complications of prophecy. We don't want to just be filled in the head with all these bowls and seals and timing of things. No, what we are looking for there has to affect what we are living for here. And so in light of future realities, how then should we live now? Peter says... Be diligent to be found by him in peace. If you have peace with God, because the peacemaker, the prince of peace, has bridged the gap between you and almighty God, if you have peace with God, live like it. Don't live like you're even now in an adversarial relationship with God. It's quite remarkable to see how many Christians who have peace with God don't look like they do. Something's wrong. Peter said, you ought to be, I ought to be about the business of making sure we are experiencing a newfound, unobstructed relationship with a holy God with whom we are now at peace because of the blood of the cross. I am not his enemy. There is no enmity. I'm his kid. So are you if you've come to him through the Lord Jesus Christ. Live like it. So we're to be living proof of a God with whom we are at peace. Peter said, work at it. Be diligent to be found by him in peace. I love Romans 5.1. Therefore, another therefore, having been justified by faith, it's past tense, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we have to prove it. And Peter says, it's a little bit of an irony, isn't it, that we have to work hard at being at peace. (laughs) He said, be diligent, labor to enter into, in Hebrew we say, Shabbat, Sabbath rest. You are at peace with God. 
You're not at war anymore. You're not combatants. You and Almighty God, you have His embrace. He's called you to be near to Him. We're little children of Abba Father. Prove it in the way you live. Peter says, work hard at it. Be diligent to be found. It says, in peace. And I think there's something else to this notion of being living proof of a God with whom we are at peace. I think it also means work hard at being at peace with one another. Are you like me underestimating the importance of harmony between Christians? Sometimes I don't take it seriously because I say, hey, we can go to another church. There's lots of churches. We could just hop around. Everyone's doing it. This is so displeasing to God. Why shouldn't it be? It's displeasing to you if your children are at odds, children, grandchildren, at odds with one another. If there's discord amongst your family members, it grieves you. You want them to get along. And so I think Peter is saying, be diligent to live according to the peace which is yours with Almighty God and Be diligent to make sure there's peace between you and other of God's kids. You see, God delights in harmony among his kids whom he delights in. He delights in all of his kids and he also delights in each of his kids. And therefore, I just have to be careful about how I relate to the rest of his kids. And some of God's kids, I got to tell you, are pretty unlikable to me. They're just obnoxious. They irritate me. But that's just the way it is in a family. That's the way it is with my three boys, too. You know what I mean? They get on each other's case from time to time. But it has to be worked at. And it has to be worked at. Be diligent to be at peace with the God with whom... You are at peace and be diligent to be at peace with one another. The most damage you and I can do to the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ is let the world take a look in at our fellowship and find out that it's no different than any club or organization or political party where people so easily are at odds with one another and divorce themselves from one another. It is no requirement that we see eye to eye, agree about all things, or frankly even like each other. The requirement is that we love each other. Because we say, our Father, we have the same line of spiritual descent. It will become increasingly important in this day of fractured family and fractured everything. The church has an opportunity to demonstrate the holding power of the Lord Jesus Christ while everything else is falling apart. And they'll know you are Christians by your strong preaching, by your beautiful songs. No, they'll know you are Christians by your love. So Peter says, this is what you're supposed to be doing while you're waiting and watching for the return of the Lord. Be at peace with him. Be at peace with one another. And then one other application. I think what Peter said has to do with personal peace of mind. Could I confess something to you? I know it's just us here. I don't have this one figured out. 
This is the one of the three aspects of peace. I don't have a lot of victory in personal peace of mind. I think that means don't worry about the future. Well, I'm just, I don't have that one. I mean, I'm just always thinking about possibilities, um, contingencies, what ifs. Do you know God doesn't give us grace to live in the world of what ifs? He doesn't. I'm really working on this Ike thing. What if it this and what if that and what if... You can drive yourself... Crazy is the word. And I think Peter says, work hard at God-given peace of mind. Did you know peace is a gift of the Spirit? This helps me a little bit because I can't muster up this kind of peace in my own resources. I have to say... Holy Spirit, let me not quench you. Fill me so that this manifestation, peace, could be in my experience. You get it from the Holy Spirit being in you and you get it from you being in God's Word. I'm working on it. I just want to tell you I don't have a whole, I don't have as much victory in this area as I'd like. And so, you know what someone said? When the Lord Jesus returns, we want him to find us in Peace, not in pieces. Isn't that good? Well, uh, I want to be found in peace when the Lord Jesus returns, and I know you do as well. So I've got a lot of work to do, and so do you while we wait. And this is one of the things Peter says we ought to be doing. And then he also says, and you ought to be spotless and blameless. Well, his first century readers really knew what he was talking about. They perked up because he's using the vocabulary of Jewish animal sacrifice. You see an animal fit for an offering uh, to the Lord Jesus, uh, excuse me, to, to, to God had to be spotless and blameless, you know. And so Peter is saying, work hard while we wait for him to return and making yourself a good fit presentation to him be spotless and blameless spotless that is a reference to our character blameless that's a reference to our reputation spotless moral purity Uh, there's nothing that can discourage people more from Bracing the Lord Jesus Christ than when those who are called by his name practice moral impurity. Now we don't have to crucify that one because the Lord has been crucified for us, but I have to tell you our, our testimony is marred. So spotlessness, it has to do with our character and blamelessness. Now anyone can bring an accusation against anyone. But this just means you pass the smell test. Let someone accuse you all they want, but there cannot be a successful case brought against you. Your reputation is unmarred. Do you know we're ambassadors for Christ? And people watch. Therefore, we must be living proof of this holy God to a watching world. And then Peter says in the next verse, chapter 3, verse 15, And regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. 
just as also our beloved brother Paul. Oh, don't go past it. Did you know Peter and Paul had a big old public fight? One apostle rebuked the other in public? Oh, my goodness. And Peter here refers to that one Paul as his beloved brother. He's really practicing what he's preaching, isn't he? They came to be at peace with one another because there was something greater than their own disagreements. So he said, you remember our beloved brother Paul, uh, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you. So here's the deal. While we are waiting anxiously and watching expectantly for the Lord's return, don't you have a tendency to get impatient? Don't you have a tendency to say, Lord, I know you're coming, but what's taking you so long? Enough is enough. Lord, with all due respect, why are you dragging your feet? And so Peter is saying, hey, 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 while you're watching and waiting, here's what you should do. Be patient. No, God's not dragging his feet. Don't you see the heart of God? He's patient because he wants people to be saved. It's not his desire for any to perish. And so he's giving everyone absolutely Every opportunity to be redeemed before he comes. This is the heart of God who redeems. And so Paul, Peter is saying, while you wait, and he's quoting the words of Paul, be patient about this. Do you know someone said that God's clock is set at daylight saving time? Is that not good? Boy, I wish I said that. I'm just quoting it. Uh, God's clock is set and while it is still called day. Let God mercifully be about the business of redeeming those who will respond to the gospel message. Let's not say, God, what's taking you so long? Let's just say, oh, God, we'll wait patiently and thank you for giving more and more and more people an opportunity to be saved. And so this tells me that while we're waiting, we ought not just to be patient, but also actively engaged in evangelism because that seems to be what's on the Father heart of God, that people would be saved. And then Peter goes on to say in verse 16, as also in his letters, he's referring back to Paul again, as also in his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand. Peter is saying some of the writings of Paul, that means the New Testament, you see. Some of it is kind of tough to understand. In some of these things, which are hard to understand, which, notice, the untaught and unstable distort, as they do also the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. So here, one apostle Peter is saying, let me just admit something to you. Parts of the inspired word of God, in this case particularly written by God's agent Paul, are tough to understand. So that's what he says. So he says, Peter does, the response of some is not to carefully study God's word, but rather to distort it. 
So you have the word of God, writings of Paul, and the rest. And you have to admit, wow, some parts of it are a little hard to comprehend. I mean, you would expect that if it's the mind of Almighty God, who is infinite, that some things would be a a little hard to understand. And so Peter is saying, here's the response of some to that. They just distort it. And that word distort in the original language is actually used of someone being tortured on the rack. You know what Peter is saying? Instead of studying the word of God systematically and diligently and patiently, some torture it, they wrench it, they twist it out of its context and intended meaning. This is how they handle, he says, all the scriptures. And by the way, says he, they do this to their own destruction. Of course, you toy with the word of God, oracles from on high, taking it no seriously than and no more seriously than any other literature. Do you think Almighty God, who intends to use it to depict his will and his ways, do you think he's not going to be lathered up about that? So Peter says you got two choices. With the infinite, lofty, sometimes incomprehensible word of God, you can dig in and prayerfully, systematically study it, or you can take shortcuts and torture it out of its context and intended meaning. So in essence, you kill off God's intent through it. He says these people, he refers to them as the untaught and unstable. Now, folks, we just got to face this. In this day of, uh, I don't know what, equality also distorted like crazy, Today, I guess we think anyone can rightly preach and teach the Word of God. Would you mind if I tell you I greatly resent that? Not everyone could be a plumber. Not everyone can fix a carburetor. Not everyone can remove your gallbladder. Why can everyone toy with your soul? Untaught, it says. I would just challenge you to do a little investigation of uh, the average preacher on so-called Christian television. I'm not trying to be critical. I'm just trying to be objective. Get their biographical statement. Please tell me what their training is. And you say training doesn't make you a godly person. That's true. It doesn't automatically. But if you're going to be handling the truths of Almighty God, it has to be with diligence. (sighs) Could I, do you mind me being dogmatic and telling you, I wouldn't attend church where the lead exponent of the Word of God is not properly trained. I'm just not going to do it. I don't care if I like his personality, he looks good and he's attractive and all the rest. I'm not going to sit under the teaching and preaching of a person who's untaught and untrained. And by the way, if you think I'm being a little critical, argue with Peter. He calls them the untaught and unstable. What does that mean? 
There's no consistency with which they handle the word of God. And so they are, they are untrained and, and also unrestrained. Now you forgive me for getting a little um, mad. But if you listen to many preachers today, even of big churches with big followings, they're unrestrained in the way they mishandle the word of God. Listen, there's a guy who wrote a, now two books on the bestseller list, you know, guy who pastors a big old church. And I sat with a lady who, uh, in a prior day who was upset with me for my position towards this person and this marvelous book, and I just sat with her in a half an hour, and we were able to see the grotesque, torturous distortion of the Word of God used in this guy's book, which betrays to me he's untaught and unstable, and thousands entrust their eternal souls. Doggone it. I wouldn't let you lance a boil if you don't have a medical degree. But we'll let someone impart matters of eternal significance to us without any training, without any study, without any capacity to handle the holy word of God with accuracy. And so Peter says, instead of wrestling with the text and being diligent, they distort it, their ignorant untaught about the principles of biblical interpretation. Do you know if you just get this principle of biblical interpretation right, you'll be saved from a lot of aberrant teachings? It's called study the verse in its context. That's all. And as I watch so-called, it's not Christian TV, it's post-Christian TV, um, They'll take a verse that's intended for Israel and apply it over here. And they'll take a verse here. and It's context. Context is every. Don't you see that distorts the word of God? And so Peter says, as we watch and wait for the Lord Jesus Christ, notice what he says, verse 17. You, therefore, in light of these untaught and unstable teachers, you, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness. You don't fall from God's grace, but you can fall from your own steadfastness. So Peter essentially says, you know this beforehand. In other words, having been forewarned, before armed against false teaching, they're out there more than ever before. See where it says, you know this beforehand? It's actually one word in the original language, and it's the word from which we get our word, prognosis. So you go to a doctor, and the doctor gives you a prognosis on your medical situation. And that has the potential of helping you to deal with it. You might have to make some changes, perhaps in diet or medication or lifestyle. 
And this is Peter's thought here. He's saying, since you have the prognosis, since you know beforehand what's out there and what's coming and what can victimize you, prepare. Be on your guard. That's what he says. In fact, see where it says be on your guard? In the original language, the verb tense actually reads, be constantly guarding yourself. It's continuous action. Be constantly guarding yourself, you see? And he says, do this so that you're not carried away from the error of unprincipled men. Now, you see that phrase, carried away? It's used in the sense of being seduced. Seduced. So there's a lot of teaching popular in Christian circles today that's very seductive. It would be to me, if you think it, you can have it. That's very seductive. Well, I don't have to wait on God. I can just think it. If you confess it, it's yours. Cool. Now my words have creative power, and I don't have to depend on the creator. If two or three of you get together and agree on anything, it shall be yours. I love that. Hey, you got some time later? I just need two or three. I want like a BMW. Let's just agree. Wrenched out of its uh, context. That has nothing to do with this kind of uh, pressure we put on God. I discovered the formula to get God to give me what I want to get. I just got to believe for it enough. That isn't faith in Almighty God. Biblical faith is when you say, God... I trust you no matter what the outcome. You know what? I would prefer that Ike not destroy us. That's just something, maybe it's just me. I would like to get through it. But maybe God is up to something that has eternal ramifications that I know not of. So ultimately, I want to express my preference. That's what you do with a parent. But then you want to get out of the way and you want to say, Father knows best. That's faith. Confidence in Almighty God and His good, acceptable, and perfect will. So there's lots of seductive teaching today. Seductive teaching which says you can be free from the throes of life like disease. Don't accept that disease. Man, I don't want to accept you. I mean, it's seductive teaching. But it's not biblical teaching. So it seduces, it seduces some. And Peter says, you have to constantly be guarding yourself so that you're not carried away, seduced by untaught and unstable teachers and preachers. One of my close friends over here, Bill, we were talking earlier, Bill Riley, and and he asked such a profound question. He said, what do I think is the most... uh, telling sign of the end times and I told him deception and he agreed with me it's the first time we ever agreed on anything I'm kidding and he had a wonderful passage of scripture which talks about apostasy and falling away just a lack of discernment the biggest need today is for critical thinking 
Not to be a critical person, I don't mean that. I mean to sift things through the biblical grid so that we're not sucked in, carried away by seductive teaching of untaught and untrained uh, people. So, Peter says, this is what we are to do today. Instead of being seduced into false teaching, here's what he says, verse 18, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. He's both, you know, Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Grow. What are we supposed to do until the Lord returns? Grow in grace and knowledge, not in general, specifically of our Lord Jesus Christ. So to grow in grace is to grow in the sphere of God's favor. We want to be fully gospelized. I am not working for God's favor. I have it fully in the most favored son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to be fully graced so that I can be more gracious to those around me. So we want to grow in grace, but not just grace. Uh, to grow in knowledge is to grow in the sphere of God's word. Grace and knowledge. And the word grow is in the same verb tense as the word guard. In other words, just as we are to be constantly, continually guarding ourselves against false teaching, so too we are supposed to be constantly and continually growing until the Lord returns, in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank God for the emphasis of this church. It's very, I don't know if you knew this, Bible-oriented. You actually could get to know it here. It's just something, thank God, I credit our pastor with it. That's a hallmark of Sagemont Church. Oh, yes, graciousness in relationships, very important. And growth according to the word of God. So many opportunities for it here. We don't have one way to do it. We have a buffet table of opportunities for growth according to to grace and knowledge, and you just come to the buffet table and you take what fits to you, you see? But it's very, very important to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And Peter caught up, as I hope we are, with the marvels of future realities. Well, he ends with a fitting doxology. That's a praise to God. He says to him, be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. And so we found out what we're supposed to be doing. Work hard at experiencing peace with God, one another, and on the inside. Be spotless. That's our character. Be blameless. That's our reputation out there. Be guarded about seductive, untrained unstable teachers and instead be continually growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and be glorifying him now and forever because he is a forever God and we will be forever with him. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. The best is yet to come. 
It's just going to get a little hot until we get there. But don't worry. All suffering seems for the moment to be painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained up by it. God doesn't give us all things we want. He just gives us everything we need. So we put our faith in him. No matter what comes our way, weather-wise, in terms of terrorism, the Lord Jesus is on the throne, so therefore to him both now and forever be glory. So we got lots to do while we watch and wait, don't we? Constantly guarding ourselves, constantly growing in grace and knowledge. Lord Jesus, to you be the glory, both now and forevermore. The only perfect one. Thank you for imparting to us right standing with your Father. Only you could do it, for only you are the fit mediator between your Father and us. And because of what you've done and contingent on our faith in what you've done, your Father is now our Father who art in heaven. Thank you, almighty God, that from that vantage point above it all, you are working your good, acceptable, and perfect plan. We must tell you we anxiously await your return because it gets to be a little tough down here. But thank you, Lord Jesus, not for delaying, but for being patient, desiring for none to perish but for all to be saved. So, Lord Jesus, we have lots to do to be about your business of communicating the gospel and growing in grace and knowledge. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the future. It's grand and glorious. And for the present day, which ought to be very much formed and shaped by future realities. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.